I find myself oftentimes in funeral homes. And I was talking with a, a pastoral friend a few weeks ago, and I asked her what was the favorite thing for her in pastoral ministries, and she said, funerals. And I thought, well, I'm not the only weird person in this whole profession, right? So I said, why, why do you love funerals? And she said, it's the time when I feel most needed. It's the time that I feel most relevant. And I thought that, that was a really good comment. I uh, d discovered many years ago that I was um, doing um, more funerals than than my peers when the funeral director down the street from us, so this is on the Danforth um, on, uh, uh, in, Van or in, in Toronto, the, the funeral director one day I bumped into him, his name was Graham, and Graham said, hey Ian, um, if you ever need a car, so I'm thinking, what, I wonder what is, I said, like, like what? He said, if you ever need a car, like if you're going to a Jays game or you know, a Leafs game and you want a car, and I'm going, like a funeral car? He said, no, 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 the family car, like the limo. He said, we'd be happy to come pick you up and bring you to the event with maybe your family or with, with your friends. And I thought, okay, I'm doing too many funerals. This guy is becoming my friend. And he, he was one of those weird funeral directors. Uh, you probably have met them. They are few and far between now, thank goodness. Now, actually because more women are entering the profession, you don't have to be quite so stuffy and weird as you had to used to be. But anyway, um, so, so there I was doing altogether too many funerals. We're going to talk today about death. Um, and as I was just meditating on my history in pastoral ministry of funerals and death, um, all kinds of conversations kind of, you know, flow into my mind. Um, some of them very serene, some of them very disturbing, some of them um, actually quite full of blessing. But I remembered... Um, for whatever reason, when, when I came to this passage that we will look at this morning, I remembered a person uh, back in Vancouver in the early 80s. So I was uh, in a church just down the road from Vancouver General Hospital and the cancer clinic. And so on Thursdays, I served as a volunteer chaplain in the cancer clinic. And I remember uh, as clear as day the, the first visit that I had with a particular man who was suffering from a cancer, a sarcoma, I think it was. And when I went in to sit with him, uh, he said, um, I have a really hard story to tell you about. And he said, but before I tell you the story, I need to know um, that you'll make me a promise. He said, I need to know that you will promise me not to tell my family what I'm going to tell you. And I said, well, I... I don't know if, if I can actually make that promise to you, but as, as well as I can, I will keep that promise if, if I can. So you may re remember that this was the beginning of the scourge of AIDS. And in Vancouver, um, the west end of Vancouver was one that was um, very highly populated by people um, in the lifestyle that was yielding uh, several diagnoses of AIDS, and AIDS was a death sentence in the early 80s. It was not as it is today. And this man, um, in his bed in the hospital, uh, said to me, um, I have AIDS, and I think I'm going to die. 
I want you to promise me that you'll not tell my family that the reason I'm dying is that I have AIDS. It'll be fine if they know that I have cancer and that I will die of cancer, but I don't want them to know that I have AIDS. And so he told me, not only that day, but in subsequent visits, he told me of the long story of his life and the struggles of his life and the weight that there was upon him now at the end of his life or what seemed to be the, the coming end of his life. And he wanted to leave his family um, as positively as he could, dire though his, his disease was. And he, he just didn't want them to know what his life had been like. And over the weeks, we had a long visit Thursday by Thursday. And for some reason, um, he enjoyed that I would come and talk with him. And we talked. And even week by week, he was deteriorating. He was covered in sores all over his body. Um, he was... He was losing weight daily and with skin and bones in his bed and clearly was was dying um and one day as as we talked he said um what's it like so i said what's what's what like he said what's what's it what's dying like and that that was the first time that question has been asked of me it's been asked of me several times since then and problem is i don't know I know what dying looks like for some people, but I, I, I sense that's not what he was asking me, and I, I pressed it home, and I said, do you mean what will be it be like when you're dying? And he said, no, no, no. He said, what will it be like after I die? Um, I believe that during the course of our meeting together, he had come to terms with his life and his um, his need for Christ and was approaching death with peace in that regard. But he said, look at me. He said, look at, look at my body. Look what I've done to my body. And look what disease has done to my body. Um, could you just talk to me about what it'll be like when I leave this body? And boy, that was an, an invitation to bring a, a ray of sunlight into a really dark musty room spiritually speaking and i remember talking to him about the truth of first corinthians 15 and i i say these verses every time i'm at a cemetery and i'm sort of managing to get my tongue around these hard words um but this is a really important passage of scripture it answers the question what will it be like after i die because we don't know, we've not been there, unless anybody here has had some body ex- out-of-body experience, and I don't know about it yet. Brianna, have you? No, you're good. Okay, no, we're good. Listen to this. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the hear the words perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And I can often see as I look around groups of people by a grave where they're going imperishable, perishable, mortality, immortality. What, what does all that mean? Well, what that all means is the answer to the question, what will it be like? What happens to this body? For my friend, what happens to the sores on his skin, to the withering away of the, the body that he will finally shed and, and move along? There's some great news in, in this little piece of scripture. Um, talks about a trumpet. Um, talks about the, when the last trumpet sounds. And like Paul talks about it, expecting that it's a real future event. So it's not, you don't just lose this in Revelation in the middle of apocalyptic language where it's like, well, which trumpet, the first or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth or the seventh? It's like, Paul says, never mind all that stuff. John can write about that later on. But the last trumpet is going to sound. And when the trumpet sounds, and I believe he's expecting a future event that if we happen to be here, we would hear that trumpet. It must be a really loud trumpet. But when that trumpet sounds, something is going to happen immediately. And my friend needed to know what was going to happen immediately. Either if the trumpet were to sound um, before he left this earth or where he would be or what would happen for him until the trumpet sounds. But that's, that's a, a little sort of drama in the middle of it that says there's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound and when the trumpet sounds um, everything is going to be different now he says behold i I tell you a mystery we we will not all sleep and sometimes we're as thick as the disciples and when jesus said to his friends um, lazarus is asleep and they said well that's fine i'm sure he'll wake up right what's the problem and Jesus looked at him, at them. I'm sure with the look of exasperation, he has to have been exasperated from time to time. And he said, Lazarus is dead. Oh, well, let's go then so we can die with him because, Jesus, are you kidding me? Have you guys been around me long enough? Let's go. And off they went. But this whole thing in the New Testament about sleep, it's... It's a euphemism, but not quite. So euphemism is using a word that's easier to take than the real word. The real word is death. So Paul says here, we're not all going to die. Right? We're not all going to fall asleep. Um, Some of us will and some of us won't. But he says there is something that will happen to all of us, for all of us. So this whole sleeping thing is about death and is the hinge on uh, what Paul is talking to his friends in Corinth about. Now, I want to mess with this passage again. Because I keep on saying these words, I get my tongue around them, and I look at people and they're going, I don't know what those words mean. Sort of like my son Colin used to always say, 
I hear the words you're saying. I do not know what they mean. We do that with theology. We do that with scripture. We say words as though we understand what they mean. And so here's what I would like to do. Now, what I'm going to do now is irresponsible. I'm going to try to use an illustration about shopping. Goes against my better judgment. So does shopping for the most part. But um, we're living in an incredible day of the opportunity for buying in all kinds of ways. Who doesn't love Amazon? (laughs) Come on. I can just go on my computer and sometimes by the end of that very day, the item will be on my porch. Or maybe tomorrow it'll be on my porch. Or if they promised it'll be on my porch by tomorrow and it's not there, they apologize profusely and tell me when it's going to get there. So I, I think we've ended up just buying things from Amazon for the delivery. And then this week I had a delightful encounter, I guess you would call it. And we had ordered something again from Amazon. The the only thing that disappointed me this time was that delivery was promised by Canada Post. And see, that's a variable, isn't it? You know, it's one thing if they tell me Purolator or if they tell me, you know, that Brown's going to bring it. But when they say Canada Post is going to bring it, I go, "Ah, rats. I was really hoping that it would be here when it would be supposed to be here. Well, sure enough, as I am leaving the house and I'm walking in the parking lot, there is a Canada Post van with the kind of box, the size of box that I'm expecting. So I I said to the girl, are you looking for Unit 16? And she said, yeah. I said, well, that's me. So I can take it. She said, well, I have to actually take it all the way to Unit 16. And I'm going, I understand, that's, that's fine. She said, if you have ID, and I said, well, I'm sure I have it here someplace, but how about I'll just walk with you and we'll take it to Unit 16. We took it to Unit 16, Annabeth was there, and the lady was just very friendly, very nice. And we walked back to the parking lot. She's apologizing that I have had to walk back with her. She said, we shouldn't have expected you to do that. I'm so sorry. And as I'm getting in my car, she's rolling down her window, and she's waving out the window and promising me, you know, that the next time she will try to make it more easily delivered and have a great day. So I literally pulled up beside her and I said, are you trying single-handedly to redeem the reputation of Canada Post? (laughs) She laughed and said, well, somebody needs to, right? Anyway, that was, that was digressing. I'm going to use an illustration about buying stuff. Because um, the way I can answer what's it going to be like after I die is to tell you about returning an item. We're going to turn in this item, right? Just like you turn in something you don't want. That's kind of the language of this passage. Paul actually talks about clothing himself or ourselves with, putting something on instead of or on top of what's there. And so let me suggest to you that I change the word perishable to the word ruined. It's it's an, an accurate translation as well, but it helps me understand better 
than the word perishable does. We know what perishable goods are, but the actual word here is a word that's a little bit more subtle than just perishable goods. It's ruined. So you imagine something, a garment or a possession of some kind or another, and you're actually looking at it and you're saying, it's ruined. You know, maybe it was a lovely gown, a lovely shirt, a lovely suit, and something has happened to it, and it is frankly ruined. You might take it to the dry cleaner and ask them what they could do, and they say, you know what, there's really nothing to do. This is ruined. The truth about us and this body that we have is that the body we have is ruined. It can't be fixed. It, it can't be cleaned. Um, it, it can't be just shaken and dusted off. We have a ruined body. That, that's one of the big problems we have as we live on earth. So Paul says, nor does the ruined inherit the unruinable. We're taught that there is something yet for us that is not subject to ruin. You get that? Like, all of the ways that ruin is in our lives, all of those ways are taken away with the exchange that is going to be made when a trumpet sounds. So the bodies that we have ruined as they are, they may be ruined by AIDS and cancer. They may be ruined by whatever it is that has come at our hands or at someone else's hands or just because we live in this fallen world. And Paul says, um, you need to know, actually, that the ruined bodies that we have are no good for the future. And I could say, well, I didn't need to be inspired by God to know that. I can be inspired by the mirror to know that. This ruined body is no good. But let's just try this on um, with the word ruined instead of perishable. And just for fun, instead of using the word changed, let's use the word exchanged. Because again, that's a legitimate translation of the term. Um, and when we get to the word mortal, let's just call it aging. And instead of immortality, we'll call it agelessness. So you've got a body right now that's got two fundamental problems. It's ruined <laughs> and it's aging. Who didn't know your body was aging when you woke up this morning and you felt a pain you didn't think you knew before? And you go, oh no, not that. Is that going to be every morning too? Right? Pain after pain after pain. So I will pull out the, um, the words that I've taken out of this and listen to what Paul is saying if you will accept um, the idea of ruin and unruinable um, instead of perishable. And if you will accept... Um, aging and agelessness instead of mortal and immortality. So what Paul is saying is this, nor does the ruined inherit the unruinable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, we're not all going to die, but we will all be exchanged in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. How fast is the twinkling of an eye? Any scientists who can give us an actual piece of information on that. So blink your eye right now. How long did that take? Less than a second? A lot less than a second. All right, good. Richard has 
quantified this for us. Paul says something's going to happen. There's going to be the blast of a trumpet, and in the twinkling of an eye, everything is going to change. So I don't know if you've seen, you know, movies about the second coming of Christ and so on, and it seems to me they're kind of long and dramatic about the, um, you know, the rapture. People kind of rise up slowly. People kind of descend slowly. And in this passage, Paul says, no, it's just like that. So it's just like if we were sitting here right now, a split second later, everything would be changed. These ruined and aging bodies immediately would be changed, exchanged. We will bring them back to the store and say, I don't want this anymore. It's ruined. I don't want this anymore. It's out of style because I bought it 73 years ago. This body of ours, what's going to happen after I die? Well, you're going to be able to exchange what you have for something that is not like what you have. So he says, here's what needs to happen. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised unruinable. And this aging must put on agelessness. But when this ruined will have put on the unruinable, and this aging will have put on agelessness. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That, that is the hope of the Christian. Um, now, back some years ago, I, I, I read a book by a, a sociologist named Ernest Becker. He, he wrote a book called The Denial of Death. And so he was sort of Freudian, but neo-Freudian, said what we're fighting all our lives is, is not um, some sexual impulse. What we're fighting all of our lives is death. We live every moment of our lives denying death. And we do, don't we? I mean, it's, uh, it's all around us. We want to be young. We want to always be young. We want to always live. We don't want to die. We, we, we do crazy things around death. Like we put death in a building up the street called a funeral home. What's a funeral home? How in the world is it a home if it's about funerals? And we employ people to be funeral directors and tell them don't ever smile at people because this is not a happy place. And then we go and we do the death thing up the street and it's only for really courageous that we do it any closer to home, like maybe in, in the church. Um, we kind of like to just keep it there because we don't, we don't want to talk about death. You, you don't go to Starbucks and say, so want to talk about dying? You, you won't talk long or with, with very many people because we want to keep it away. And yet Paul says, I'm really comfortable talking about this. Because what you can't hide is your ruin. What you can't hide is your aging. Because those things have been touched by sin and the fall. They have been marred. They've been ruined. And they have been made to age on and on. And we can fight it as long as we can. For some of us, you know, 80 
maybe 90 years. Every now and then we hear about somebody who was 102 years old. I saw something about a guy conducting an orchestra. He's like in his 90s at least, or maybe 100, and he can still conduct it. And you go, wow. But every 100-year-old or 110-year-old will also die. So Paul says, okay, here's an exception. Um, we won't all die, but we will all be exchanged. So what we're taught in the rest of the New Testament is that when Jesus comes, there'll be some of us who are still here, and there'll be some of us who have gone. And to be absent from this body, we're told, is to be present with the Lord. So it's either one or the other. To be present in the body, says the Apostle Paul, means I'm absent from the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And which would I rather have? He says, well, to tell you the truth, I'd rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So, so fixed and confident is he about the future and what happens after I die, is he says, well, I don't know, just, you know, academically speaking, it's either one or the other. And I suppose if you ask me, I would rather be with the Lord. But I think I'm supposed to be here for a while. I have things to do, and you need me, and so we'll be good. But, but for Paul, it's like, I don't want you people to be confused or ignorant about all this stuff. Here's what's going to happen in the future. Some people will die. Some people will not have died yet when the trumpet sounds. And then in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will make an exchange. So here we go. Here is the... Uh, small print called the mortal return for exchange unfortunately there's no refund you you can't take your body and get a refund like you can't get another body to do in this life you can't get halfway through and say i'm kind of tired of this one could have a could have a different one and i wish you could hair please like just for a year even so people would quit pointing it out and I'd have to stop saying, well, my hair gives me no trouble. I see yours today must have been giving you trouble. Ooh. All right. Really simple. The exchange is instant. That's incredible. It's not that we go somewhere and rot somewhere, or we go somewhere and try to make up for what we've done, or we go somewhere and get reincarnated into some other life form or animal form or something. There's an exchange that will happen that is instant. My thought, and this is only my thought, I think that Lois agrees with me, because we've talked about it before. We, you can check me out. The, the New Testament tells us nothing about where we go and what we do between death and the trumpet. So we presume um, different sort of worlds around us, different um, configurations, um, that maybe we go sideways. And C.S. Lewis, I think, believed this. So... When you went into Narnia and you came back out, it was the same time that you left. So time can go sideways. I think when you die in Christ, you go sideways. And the thing that is instant is the passage of time between you dying 
and the trumpet sound. I don't love the idea that those that have gone ahead of me are waiting somewhere. It's, it's okay if they are. And maybe it's a, a gorgeous place. Maybe, maybe it's where we'd all love to be. But I am comforted by the idea that, you know, my mom is, her very next waking moment will be the trumpet. And how quickly this happens, I think, is brilliant. That Paul says it, it's in the twinkling of an eye. There's going to be an exchange that happens in the twinkling of an eye. So I think it literally is that my eyes close in death and my eyes open to hear a trumpet and to receive the exchange. And I will look around and say, oh, you're here too. When did you come? And everybody will say, right now, we just got here. And Paul is over there saying, see, that's when we say death. Who cares about you? Where's your sting? Where's your victory? The exchange is instant. The replacement is unruinable. Imagine if you could buy something and you're, you're guaranteed that you cannot ruin this thing. We're told that. I mean, we buy things and somebody will say, you know, this. here's a warranty on it. Beside, nobody actually will need the warranty because it never breaks down. It's an incredible thing. Um, I heard about a person who was driving a Rolls Royce and his Rolls Royce broke down. And when he called the helpline, the person on the other end said, well, we, we have nobody to send. This has never happened before. <laughs> a Rolls Royce breaking down. Everything breaks down. You're going to get a body that won't break. And it will be able to do incredible things. If Jesus' resurrected body tells us anything, it's just kind of cool. Because it is not confined to time and space. Um, he can run through walls. And I always look for somebody to volunteer. Shane, do you want to just like run at that? You can get through that wall physically. There, it's not as much mass as just apparently. So there's enough air. Now, it's physically possible, but Jesus knew how to do it just like that. So they're, here they are in a room with Jesus, and they look around and they say, where did he go? He, he was gone. So, um, and you get to eat. Fish, because Jesus, in his resurrected body, ate fish. I hope you like fish. Right. Um, you get to love breakfast. breakfast. So I hope you like breakfast, because Jesus, the meal that we hear about him eating on the Sea of Galilee, which would be a lovely place to have breakfast, is he had breakfast right there with his disciples' fish for breakfast. I don't know. Um, they recognized him in some spiritual, mystical way. When on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, some old guys showed up, the disciples knew who they were. I don't think they had name tags, but somehow or other, the disciples knew who they were. Um, and they didn't even have pictures back then. So how would they know what they're supposed to look like? But they knew who they were. 
So I think we're going to know each other. I think we're going to know each other in, in a spiritual, real, sensory way. That, and, and as we know God and his love for us and all of the details of our lives, I, I don't think we'll have forgotten all kinds of stuff. Like, I don't expect to see Orville and have to, have to be introduced again. Say, now, now what's your name? Orville. We've never met, have we? No, no. Well, no, we have met, right? So it'll be time to go back and talk about remembering, talk about these lives of ours. Bring the sadnesses forward from our lives. Bring the happinesses forward. But this replacement that we're going to be given is unruinable. Can't break it. Forever. Forever. And finally, the replacement will never wear out. It's, it's not going to get old. And, you know, when you're young, you just don't believe you're ever going to get old. And, and then there are those times when it, it just dawns on you that you can't do something that you used to be able to do. I used to be able to ski powder and zigzag and jump and now the very thought of it terrifies me. I, I risked my life. I was a youth pastor. And so what we did as leaders was we used to go to Marmot. That was Jasper. And we went to Marmot, this big ski mountain. And the rule was whoever was the leader in you know, the squad of guys skiing, whatever the first guy did, everybody else had to do. Or if you didn't do it, you had to sit out at the lodge. And you got there, you know, in early in the morning, drove three hours from Edmonton to get there, and you were not going to sit this out. So we did things. So I remember my skis thinking my tips were going to touch the back of the skis. The bend was so crazy and the moguls were so big, but I was not going to not do. And we did stupid things. And now I think, if I tried that once, they'd be carrying me down the mountain. But that, the energy of that youth, it, it's going to be that to the nth degree in these bodies that you're going to get. So my friend who's saying, look at this. He says, there's nothing left of me. And I'm able to tell him, there's an exchange. It's going to happen for you just like that. And you're going to get something that you can't ruin. And it's never going to get old. A friend of mine um, had borrowed a book from me and forgotten to give it back. And it's a delightful book. Calvin Miller was the writer. He wrote an allegory called The Singer Trilogy. The Singer, The Song, and The Finale. Uh, Animeth and I, since we've been since we found where we misplaced it. We've been reading it chapter day by day. And he just opens up so many things about Christ and his death and resurrection and living in this world. It's a beautiful book. But one of the quotes that Mike reminded me of was that uh, Calvin Miller says, the day of one's death is a good day to be really alive. Isn't that incredible? Day of one's death 
It's a good day to be really alive. My um, dad tells me that his grandmother, my great-grandmother, was dying in Analong in their little house I even knew them in. And the village doctor had been by, and she was dying. She was, you know, in the last hours of life. And she said to him, Doctor, how long do I have? And he said, just hours, you know, a couple of hours. So she looked at the clock and she said, um, do you mean four o'clock? Yeah, you know, yes, dear. Granny Stanfield woke up at six o'clock. She looked at the clock and she said, oh dear, I'm two hours late. I think it's a true story. My, why would they tell me a lie? But there's that whole thing. There's the terror of death that I've seen. And there's also the comfort of death that says, you know what, death is just a moment. It's just finishing this off and then making an exchange. The exchange has been totally paid for by the death of Christ. So don't worry about that you're going to get something that will never get ruined and it's never going to get old. And it'll happen in a flash. The day of one's death is a good day to be really alive.